0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Block Talk Radio. episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Before we dive in, of course, I'd like to give a shout-out to today's sponsor, Audible.com, the leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. You can listen to audiobooks wherever and whenever you want with Audible.com. And you can get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. So, yeah. Um, This past, I'd say, week or so, it's been more fun than the past week or so before that. It's weird, considering it was, you know, I
1: don't like to be the guy who celebrates an 18-point loss, but... I think everything kind of went about as well as we could have realistically expected, and it was a game that really was not as – I mean, it, it, we were we were closer to being – making that a close game than we were being totally run out of the building.
0: That's the wild thing. I keep, like, talking to people about the game and everything else, and, and there seems to be several different um, – like, you know, train of thought just in terms of, you know, how we did. Some people like, oh, no, uh, you know, Florida State didn't try. Then there's also the, oh, my God, like, we did so great. Or, and then there's the imagine what we would have done if Hunt was in crowd. It just seems like there's a lot of different trains of thought, and, and, and I don't know which one's right necessarily. I mean, I would agree it didn't look like Florida State had their A game, but um, I don't. You know, at the same time, like it's, it's not really our fault, and and to stay with an 18, and if it wasn't for a few you know, a few major, you know, boneheaded moves on our part, I mean, really, who knows what would happen? Yeah, I think saying St. Florida State didn't try is kind of you're just
1: looking for a way to discredit a decent performance in Syracuse. I mean, clearly by the middle by the the middle portion of the game, uh, Jameis Winston was fairly frustrated, considering he may or probably didn't, but it kind of looked like he head Ron Thompson. So, like, there was – I mean, I, I don't know if that was his intention, but he was clearly frustrated, and Syracuse made some plays, and, and I don't know. I don't, I don't think you can just go out and assume Florida State had, wasn't trying, considering this – that wasn't, like, a, a weird performance in Florida State, considering what they've done the rest of the year. It was pretty much in line with how they've played so, so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you hit right on the head. This is not some, like, anomaly of of their play. This is very much, um, you know, a a product of of, of what they've done for the entire season now. And while Winston played well and while our defense got completely, completely shredded, and I don't think that should be lost um, in in the praise for Syracuse, um, at the same time, their defense really didn't fare very well either. I mean, we did the did the play call breakdown on Tuesday. Um, we averaged, you know, 6.1 yards per play. Uh a stark stark difference from from what we we saw in previous weeks. Um this is a team that seemed to seemed to move the ball well. And not just move the ball well, but move the ball with a purpose and each play seemed to lead to um a, a play based off of it. Uh, the running game, while you know the early parts of the game were, were, were very balanced, it sort of took a backseat to the past, understandably, um, in the second half. But you saw a balanced run game. You saw, for the most part, Ami Moore used properly between the tackles. You saw Gully, while he does have a, a very strong, you know, slashing game but between the tackles, he was used um, around the end. I think AJ Long's running, uh, once we knew that he was kind of gonna. He was going to get uh, more of the snaps. He saw a long, you know, and his run game really become a factor. I mean, I would assume if the game plan for him against Wake Forest, we're going to see even more of that. It was just, to me, it was exciting to see um, a game plan that looked very cohesive um, and each play kind of built upon one another. And I don't think we've really seen that. Um, Even in the games that went well um, under McDonald, I don't think really saw a ton of that. So it was encouraging to see. And I'm looking forward to what happens now, with um, you know, with with Long, pretty much um, looked at as, as the starter next week. I mean, even if Wilson plays, it's probably going to be sparingly, um, and it's going to be interesting to see now. Now that uh, Wake Forest has some film on both Long and Lester's play calling, you know what happens. I think we're not out of the woods yet, but but I am encouraged based on what we saw last week of what we could expect against the Demon Deakins. Yeah, I think
1: there was a little bit of, like, I think there's a portion of the fan base that expected Syracuse's offense to be this entirely different, like, animal heading in, in the Florida State game. Um, and I, I don't know where that really came from. They I, I saw a lot of, like, oh, the, I don't know why everyone's so excited about Leicester. These are the same plays that McDonald was calling. And we knew that. Like, we weren't going to install an entirely new offense going into – you know, in a one in in what five days between games, like you just don't have nearly enough installation time for that. So I I don't ever thought the problem with McDonald and his offense were the plays themselves. It was their execution and how they fit together in a cohesive game plan. Uh, and Lester, I thought with the offense when just just between the snaps, in the, when McDonald was calling plays, there oh there seemed to be a lot of like confusion and t- constant turning to see what was going on on the sideline it almost looked kind of like organized chaos or, or maybe lightly organized chaos considering the, the effectiveness of the offense but with Lester's offense it just seemed like between the plays there was a lot more the, the players seemed to be more focused and knew what they were doing there was a lot less of a confused haphazard look um, and, and everything just seemed to flow better like it seemed like the offense had knew what it was doing. The second the play before ended, the next play was already in motion, and it, it we didn't go considerably faster or or anything like that. It just seemed like the team was more confident in its in its structure. Um, it almost made me feel like like McDonald. Uh, maybe he was kind of like one of those those teachers' assistants um, that we've all had in college, where like they they know the material really well and they've you know help put together the course, but when it comes to actually delivering the information. Like clearly, he d- he doesn't have the experience at, of uh, being a play caller like Lester does. Even at the D3 level, I mean, Lester's done the job, and and at this point, I don't think there's a huge difference in just the makeup of the offense between the different levels of college. It's it's what the talent in the field is like. So, I'm I'm very encouraged by what I saw in Florida State, which it's probably not as good a defense as Clemson or Louisville, but still has hugely talented players and easily more talented players than we're going to see the rest of the year. Um, except for maybe the Clemson game, so I, I'm encouraged. I, I think there's still a bit of an uphill battle to get to that sits win plateau where we're trying to get back to a bowl, but it's certainly not impossible considering the games we
0: have left. Yeah, I think I I definitely mentioned it too, but it's worth repeating. As you said it there, um, the team looked really did look like they know, knew what they were doing, and you know, um, to hear from uh, Sean Hickey I do you. You caught this after the game. He was saying, like, the red zone struggles. Um, He was saying under McDonald, and and it hasn't necessarily gone away completely yet. He said under McDonald there was a sort of confusion about what really was going to happen inside the 20, and in particular inside the 10. Uh, And now I I think we're we're starting to drift away from that, but I don't think we're we're out of the woods yet. Um, But I think that's that's that, that very telling of kind of the overall feeling under McDonald's is people just really not knowing what was going to happen next and what they were doing next. And, you know, for, for pro athletes, that, that's hard enough, but at least you probably have the wherewithal to with all, put something together. But, but in terms of college athletes, you really should know what you're doing on each and every play. And, you know, for one of our current players to really, to really say that, that they had no idea what was going on some plays and nobody really did. And to see just a much more focused group out there. I mean, um, a much more focused group, not just under a new offensive coordinator, but under a freshman quarterback. To see a freshman quarterback have have what seemed like more command um, of the playbook. I mean, yes, it was stripped down, but nonetheless, to just have a freshman really go out there, and two different freshmen go out there, and for the offense to look just so much more locked in, um, so much more aware of their surroundings of what was going on. I think it's incredibly it's incredibly telling of, of, of what a disaster the previous um, regime was, and I mean, again, like, like we've both said, you know, we're not out of this yet, but that said, there there are were, there were definite positives, and, and I think we're only going to get better um, as the season wears on, especially as, as guys get healthy. I think, you know, lost in the shuffle today and, and for the last week or so has really been just how injured this team is um, and, and how much better they'll be once once we're at full strength if we we get back to full strength. Yeah, I mean, it'll be –
1: we have two guys out with embroiled in esteem who were really, like, the most unique athletes we had at receiver, um, at least proven ones. I mean, there are other guys that don't see the field as much for whatever reason. But with those two guys, plus Ishmael, who is very quickly becoming the player that we kind of thought he could be, maybe even a year early, um, I mean, he looked great. He he was he was matched up against some you know Florida State's top corners the whole day, and he if he didn't outplay them, like he got his shots in. So that's you know maybe that'll be the lasting effect of having George McDonald on staff, even if it ends after this year. We got a couple guys like that. Um, Ishmael's probably the, the best known one, um, but him and Brisley, who will hopefully come back and make an impact. Like, it shows you the importance of getting into Florida and getting those type of athletes because on, you know, a full roster basis we can't compete with Florida State, but on a single-player basis, like, you can get a couple guys that can do some damage against a team like that, and is clearly one of those. Uh, so it's it's, uh, it's exciting, and, and uh, Wake Forest will be a very good – it's a good game to have this week because it's such a, a drop in uh, talent from – Florida State that you just hope the players go out there and really just want to prove that this is a team that can store in the red zone, this is a team that can move the ball uh consistently. The defense will finally get a break from playing all of these really talented teams. Um I'm I'm excited to go down there and see, see how they look. I uh, hopefully they're uh hopefully they're uh, you know, ready to really break out here and, and have a performance that'll really juice everyone up for the rest of the, the home stretch here.
0: Yeah, I mean that's not to discredit Wake Forest either. Um I think the the great part about um facing them other than you know the obvious, you know, drop from Florida state talent wise is is the fact that their defense is, is pretty formidable. Um and, and it's gonna be interesting to see a team that, you know, while their offense is, is not great at all. Their uh their defense is actually uh pretty excellent, especially in the secondary. Um and what I want to see is, you know, was last week an anomaly that just happened to be based on, um, you know, the unknown? Or are we going to see, I mean, somebody was pointing out today that, that Wake Forest secondary is great. And, yeah, that, that that is the case. I'm not doubting that. But at the same time, it's not as if Florida State isn't. And it's not as if Florida State doesn't have a very formidable defense with, with four- and five-star athletes. So, for me, um, you know, this is this would be a further gauge and 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 a further you know kind of rubber stamp on all right. The new regime knows what it's doing, and and the freshmen that we're plugging in there are the real deal. Um, you know, it, it's funny now that we have to that we have to get a second gauge after a team like Florida State um, to say that this team for real. But um, I definitely want to see. I mean, I know we we talked about the freshmen over and over, but. I think it's because this has kind of faded back a little bit um, as a tight end now that you know Josh Paris is back and we've kind of minimized the use of tight ends in this offense. Um, I, I think you're gonna see a lot of a lot of A. J. Long, a lot of Urban Phillips, uh, and a lot of Steve Ishmael and, and if they look at the three of them look anything like they looked against Florida State, um, I, I think we have a very not only bright uh last six games ahead of us, but I think a very bright very um, everybody's future overall. I mean, these are all kids uh, that are a true freshmen, and are all probably going to find themselves um, as stars on campus for at least the next two years after this, not uh, more.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a good situation I think with those three especially. Though, I think hopefully Irv will start getting even more more carries and more touches, whether whether they're carries or receptions. Um, I just think he needs to get the ball in his hands. Uh, he just he looks explosive whenever he, he does, and Ishmael will just, you know, I, I feel like he'll just continue to get more looks downfield. Obviously, he and A.J. have some kind of, you know, really strong chemistry, um, just both being in the same class, and I'm sure they both have, you know, ha- taken a lot of snaps together uh, outside of practice and, and on stout teams. So it's uh, it's exciting to have three guys who, you know, I feel like yesterday we were just getting them on signing day, and now they're already – starters or or you know, Erv's not quite a starter, but you know, getting a ton of time on the field and, and making big plays. Um and yeah, I, I agree with what you said about Wake. Uh they're they're a pretty solid team uh in the back end of the defense. The linebackers are, are good. Uh the secondary is very good. Um I think it's gonna be a game where we try to commit more to the run. Um maybe even see more if not power set maybe uh, because, you know, we run pretty much everything out of the shotgun. Uh, maybe we even see some 2 tight end looks, because I know that's what uh, Tim Lester likes to, to go with, um, whether it's Custis getting in that second, that second spot or, or someone else. It, it's tough because of all the injuries. But uh, it's definitely going to be a game, I think, where Syracuse, if they have a really big day offensively, I think it's going to start on the ground once again. Um, so hopefully the offensive line is regenerated uh it's interesting because I feel like Amari Palmer has actually been really good at right tackle, which is he just didn't play before. So we've kind of gotten lucky in that the injuries that we've had there, the guys that have switched spots and have come in, have done a a pretty serviceable job. So um, we've kind of been lucky with the depth that we do have, even though it's running out pretty quickly at this point with all the injuries.
0: No, I completely agree. Um, you brought up a good point with Palmer there too, and I know that um has said that that all the all the you know fiddling around with with guys there is, is based on um you know finding the best five, um, especially given the injuries um and I do think Palmer's done a nice job, and he's had a penalty here and there, but uh, at this point, who hasn't um and not to compare the guys too much, but he's definitely done a better job than i i think I think last year's been a, a bit of a weakness. Um, when he's plugged in, but that said, you know, he's done a pretty serviceable job. And you, know, you and I mentioned way early in the season, even in the preseason, having having seven guys we potentially start um, on offense is never uh, offensive line is never a bad thing. Um, and you know, for us, like we've had so much health, like so much good health on the line in the recent years, um, in a season like this to see. Um, to see us not only be able uh, to withstand injuries, but actually succeed. I mean, you know, Matt, no Matt Nolan's not the best talent scout in the world, but at the same time, um, he was incredibly complimentary of of the Syracuse offensive line. To be honest, we did get a nice push. I mean, Florida State wasn't blitzing a ton, but at the same time, like we were getting a nice push. We were really getting, we were really flying off the line, and that's how you saw so many uh, great holes open up uh, throughout the game for all of our running backs, in particular. Yeah, I think it was the best run-blocking day they've had since Central Michigan. Um, the
1: O-Lines had a real, it's been very good pass-blocking all year. Uh, it's helped a little bit because of Hunt's ability to run and get out of sack situations, but I think Syracuse only given up, what, maybe a couple sacks all year. Um, I, I don't have the number right in front of me. But um, they, they hadn't run-blocked quite as well since maybe Maryland, and a lot of the Maryland game was, was the running backs being really explosive. Um, but in Florida State, which is a really solid front, obviously they're good everywhere. Uh, there's no there's no real weakness to that team except that punter, as they'll tell you. Um, it was definitely, I thought, the best run-blocking performance in a couple weeks. So if that was the one that i start putting all of it together, uh, even with the freshmen who I'm sure will have a bad game down the road and will complain and say, oh, no, A.J. Long's not the future anymore because our fans are, you know, want to do that occasionally when someone has a bad game um it'll really help get through those growing pains because i don't think being a freshman quarterback with a giant blitz bearing down on them is the easiest thing in the world
0: yeah i mean you know what even i know we just talked a lot about the run blocking but the, the pass blocking really wasn't too shabby either and i think that's really where millen uh focused himself a bit um, I, I think that you know that there are still some tests remaining but at the same time like for us to be able to, to hold up like that against against what is definitely one of the more talented even if it's not the best uh, defense that we're going to face all year I mean I'm, I'm completely fine with it
1: yeah I think Clemson's really the final like huge test and obviously they they just do some nasty things with, with um the players they have on that on that front. So I'm a little nervous about that game, although that now is a lot more interesting with the news that uh Deshaun Watson is definitely or almost definitely gonna be out. Um I don't think that game is a win by any means, but or or even like likely but it's now way more manageable than it was a week ago, so um I don't know we have some some potential for for good things down the road here, but obviously it starts in Winston Salem without a win in winston Salem. things get really ugly again, so don't want to look forward too much, but uh I think there are reasons to be optimistic
0: oh no i i I think you know, if we if we lose this game. It's season mostly over. That said, if we win, I mean, it just it then becomes just a balancing act of expectations based on what could be versus expectations about what has been. Um, and I don't think there's really a right way to think about it. But um, as always, he's fan base going to cause some teeth gnashing, some disagreement, um, as per usual about you know what the what the right way forward is and and kind of what needs to happen for this team. Now I'm
1: interested to see what happens if A.J. Londe winds up being like as good as we think he can be throughout the next uh the next six teams we have, then the off season becomes very interesting with a senior Terrell Hunt coming back and A.J. Lawn coming back with lots of starting experience. And Austin Wilson, who honestly didn't look that bad. The interception was really bad, but that was, you know, if he throws if he lost that ball, it's a touchdown. Um, otherwise, I thought he moved the ball really well. And then you have the Allen Edward coming up. Uh, lots of interesting, really interesting quarterback situation in Syracuse when, you know, just two weeks ago, we all assumed it was Terrell Hunt for the next two years. Um, who knows? Who knows what? what what happens now, because uh, I thought AJ, you know, he's probably he's faster than Terrell. I don't know if he'll be as effective a runner just because you can't send him to run 20 times because he'll just get broken, but he certainly looked like a more um, maybe not as big an arm or maybe not, you know, more of a powerful arm, but he, he looked very accurate, where Terrell has just had such trouble with accuracy this year, um, especially on the short and intermediate throws, which is confusing. You think those would be the easiest, easier ones to hit, but but AJ looked like he could make, you know, all the necessary throws in this offense. Um so I'm I'm really intrigued to see what happens with this program because it seems like um the things that have gone on in the last two weeks, while not positives by any I means, you don't want to see anyone get fired or injured, uh certainly have thrown a wrench in the situation and, and it might end up benefiting Syracuse because of who's getting experience now.
0: Yeah, I think it's wild that. I mean and, and this was I know I, like, had some things to say about Hunt on the site today, and it wasn't anything, like, overly negative. It was just more talking about what the offense looks like with one versus the other. Um, it was interesting to me, most of all, the, the accuracy, and I think that's really what uh, I think. If, you, if Hunt was more accurate, I think we would have had less. There would have still been complaints about McDonald, but you would have seen less of them had had some of those plays worked out. And I think you're seeing, you know, for Hunt, it wasn't just long routes. It was the simplest routes that, that just weren't you know, getting those completions. And now, you know, there were still a few incompletions, but a lot of them were drops uh, with Wilson and Long uh, under center. And I think what I really like to see is just, you know, how poised they were in the pocket, how easy, like, I mean, yes, Long made mistakes, uh, but he also, to go with those mistakes, also was able to step up, you know, roll out outside the pocket and, and deliver a strike. I mean, the amount of times that I think I said, wow, great ball, um, during that game I think outnumbered the entire time that Hunt was the starter. That's not to you know that's not to throw shade at Hunt more than anything. That's just to point out just how good um, Wilson and Long are at throwing the ball. Um, I you, you know, I think you're right about Long's running. I think he he's electrifying and I think the way to keep him that way is to is to use it use his legs in spots versus Hunt, which is kind of who's you know, kind of a battering ram and really just kind of saunter down the field. Um, So overall, I I do think that we're going to be in for some big questions. Uh, Some might have to be answered this season. Some might have to be answered next season. But it's going to come down to, you know, this year, does Hunt recover and is ready to go by early early November? Is Long playing well? Is Wilson healthy and playing well? Um, are we out of contention, are we still in contention? I, I think there's a lot. I mean, I'm not one to, surprisingly, I'm not one to think that you can't lose your job to injury. But at the same time, like I can understand why a lot of people would be of that mindset, especially in college, when you know, Hunt didn't necessarily do anything to cause losing his job, but at the same time, did he really do anything to cause keeping it? this season, and that would be my, I guess, one counterpoint. Here's the thing about Hunt this year, if he comes back,
1: if the team is losing, then I think you have to just go with the young kids who have already burned their red shirts. Um, well, Long, I think you just ride with Lawn if the team isn't winning. If the team is winning and makes a bowl, the majority of the wins are going to come with Long at quarterback, so I don't know if you replace them. So I honestly don't – I'm going to make the prediction that we do not see Terrell Hunt start another game this year.
0: Yeah, i by buy that. I mean, and obviously I think whether he starts next year is fully dependent on how the rest of the season goes.
1: Yeah, I, I – uh, maybe next year we'll just go full, like, Louisiana Monroe and just run two quarterback sets and have longed under center and Hunt at, like, an actual H-back position – and throw, like, toss sweeps to him where he can run or throw it downfield, and we'll just have the most fun nonsense off- offense. Uh, I'd be okay with that, I think. I'd be okay with it, the idea, yeah. but then I'd watch it, like, once, and I'd get kind of t- tired of it after a quarter.
0: Give yourself a Georgia Tech offense, except, like, make it even worse. It, well, <laughs> yeah, basically, you have Long as the uh, quarterback. You put Hunt in as a B-back. You put Broiled and esteem in as A-backs. Or you do the three kind of,
1: I think and just just kind going
0: wild
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're wild kind with of Riley Dixon wild on any. With, with, you never uh, know when well, it's going to happen. The Riley Dixon all world formation. I, I was thinking that the other day. Um, like I think the next great evolution in in offense, and it'll definitely come at college before it comes to the NFL, is someone will recruit a legit quarterback who's also a good enough punter that they can kick the ball like 40, 45 yards, and they'll never re- line up in an, a legitimate punt formation. And the punt will just be a built-in option on fourth down.
0: I'm Greg Robinson on, on third down.
1: <laughs> Greg Robinson was a pioneer.
0: <laughs> Honestly, I wish I had control of breaking Madden for one um, one week because I, or an NCAA version of it, because I would just put in Riley Dixon at our quarterback and just see what happens.
1: <laughs> I when when, uh, when we saw that, that, uh, the, what's the, the, uh, promo for breaking Madden this week with the, uh, Tin Tom Brady, uh, tortoise sneak himself, 99 yards down the field. Um, I really, like, if my at spot 360 is broken or I was very close to, like, turning it on and trying to do the same thing with Syracuse in the red zone on offense and just, like, mess with all the opposing defensive players and, like, the offensive line and everything. Turn holds, like, turn the hold slider up to, like, a, a million. So there's, you know, clearly going to be a hold or a false start on every play. And you just got to find a way to score.
0: Yeah, I mean... I I think it'd be worth maybe worth messing around with that just for the hell of it. Hell of
1: it. Uh, hopefully this is the week. Hopefully Syracuse can put up like a solid thirty points. That's all we need. We don't need to anything too crazy, but just something that that makes it seem like we know what we're doing in the red zone. At least fake it.
0: Yeah, I don't know if we can do that, but I'm gonna hold out hope. Instead of faking it, we can actually just be confident in the red zone or, or just fall down to 21 <laughs> every single time and then just throw a bomb at the end on the next, the next uh, play.
1: That works, too.
0: That worked. I mean, what, were we, it was a
1: 35-year touchdown to, to Ishmael this time on a play that I don't even think I would have considered us running, like, without one there that – uh. Just that that deep throw over the deep post. Like I don't think we've hit on a deep post in three years.
0: Nope. <laughs> so on that note, are we will halftime. I know, we we skipped on a beer last week, but uh, I think instead of backtracking to last week's beer and the week before's beer, and we just go keep it to the last seven days, unless you have more interesting things in the last fourteen days, the last seven. But I don't anyway. know. That's to work. Yeah. Before we get to beer the highlight of the podcast, obviously. Um, so I wanted to do another read for our sponsor, audible.com. Uh, Train is an absolute podcast. It's happy to be sponsored by audible.com. They're a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. There's over 150,000 titles over at Audible, and you can choose from any one of them to listen to on any device of your choosing. So iPod, iPad, laptop, Android devices. That's your thing, other things I don't know. Can you listen to podcasts on nooks maybe um and if you sign up now at audibletrial.com dot com slash noon's earn yourself a free audiobook and a one month free trial of service um, There are no books about Wake Forest on audible dot com however, if you're looking at the state of North Carolina, there is a book that is slightly related, to North Carolina only, not weak. Um, the Politician, an Insider's Account of John Edwards' Pursuit of the Presidency and the Scandal that Brought Him Down. So if we have some policy walks, listening, or anything like that. Um, this might be your book if you happen to have any sort of interest in one-time presidential candidate John Edwards from North Carolina and U.S. Senator at point.
1: I'm sure there are, uh, there are some good, like, Arnold Palmer books out there, too, that people who want to get the real Wake Forest experience can pick up.
0: Hold on. Let's find out. How <laughs> I many you think? None on audible. Oh, forget that part. We'll take that out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, what have you been drinking,
1: ben? Um, Not too much the last couple of weeks, but the last time, you know, since we didn't get to do this uh, a couple uh, last week, because we just started talking about nonsense in the middle of the podcast, <laughs> um, I haven't gone over my trip up to Syracuse to the Louisville game, uh, I'm not going to talk about the football game at all for the obvious reasons, but I basically just went on a, you know, a recap of my favorite Syracuse and Central New York type beers. Uh, obviously at Pumpkin, obviously had Syracuse Pale Ale. I um, also had uh, the Apricot Ale from Middle Ages, which is delicious. I've had the Swallow Wit from Middle Ages, which is delicious. Um, a couple of different things. to miss. the Flower Power, the Brown Nut, um Obviously, I had Honey Brown at Chuck's because that's necessary. Uh, at 350 a pitcher. I've, I, I don't think I've ever actually had Honey Brown outside of Chuck's because I refuse because it's always more expensive than 350 a pitcher. So, lots of good upstate, uh, upstate New York beers as you should do when visiting Syracuse. I hope that all the Florida State fans that asked us for our recommendations took uh, took those up because again,
0: we'll always contend that it's an underrated beer region. I do miss it for that reason, and as soon as I go back, I will be heading up Ithaca Beer Company for sure, along with, you know, more syracuse collections as well. But yeah, some of my uh, things that I've enjoyed, uh, the very excellent IPA duet from Alpine Beer Company for... Those who are familiar with the elusive San Diego uh uh San Diego area, they're actually in Alpine, which is like forty five minutes northeast of San Diego. Not easy to get to. But luckily I was in Pasadena and they have it half an hour pack. Um other things I've been drinking lately, um had the brewery's Tart of Darkness with cherries and vanilla. And those who have had um Tart of Darkness there. It is uh, kind of a variation on that, still very delicious. Um, Charries and vanilla definitely added some intriguing flavors. I got to enjoy some light drinking during the week. Um, St. Arnold's uh, Boiler Room Berliner Weiss, uh, 3.5%, a really um, crisp, um, just enjoyable uh, Berliner Weiss. that doesn't really register in terms of alcohol content, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, if you're just kind of relaxing on the couch or whatever, not really, you know, making it a social event. Uh, some other really enjoyable beers I had, uh, Autumn Maple from the brewery, sort of a pumpkin-y Belgian. Uh, white Chocolate, which, also from the brewery, I had that with, uh, made some coconut pancakes uh, with that. It's a, uh, it's a wheat wine. So, I know it's not the most common style that people see around, but very, very good um, other than that, and then I went down to Beachwood Brewing, one of my favorite spots in the greater Los Angeles area uh in Long Beach I had myself a Thrill seeker i p a which I'm always a fan of, as well as a laurel i p a so kind of a tap only uh a one off a one of them and uh both i mean was very, good. very good very nice, yep, and this. Weekend, I'm looking forward to. It should be a fun beer-filled three and a half-ish days for me. Not well, more like three, but yeah, should be nice. I got I got a nice list of, of North Carolina beers to check out. But if there are any others anyone else can think of, please send them over.
1: Yeah, there are a lot. There sure. are a ton of ton of good play, good options in North Carolina. I'm excited to. Get back down there and try it a bunch because I've—I don't think I've ever had like the same one twice because there's always, you know, there's so many microbrews down there. There's you're never really wanting for a for some for a, something you've had too many times.
0: Yeah, and like the I know like the Triangle area has some really great bars um, and breweries. Most of them are kind of like mapped out to see like kind of bottle shop that's like two minutes away from uh, the Raleigh-Durham Airport, so looking forward to that. Um, And then a lot of the breweries that are a little bit further away, over in the Charlotte area, Asheville area, um, they get their their stuff out to the uh, more eastern part of the state uh, pretty easily. So I have a list of things. Also, for me, I guess it's balancing out North Carolina beers with um, East Coast and Midwest beers that I can't get uh, out here, too. So I know there's stuff from Southern Tier, some stuff from Bells. Now there's you know, again, stuff I don't really get here. So I kinda of have to have to play that that game of, of deciding do you go for local on everything or do you you skip out a little bit to uh to some things you don't get. I mean I know Southern Tier there too, which we again don't get out here. so definitely I'll be I'll be battering into a few things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't usually have that issue just because everything that I drink normally, I can get like fairly far up and down the seaboard or where I am usually. So I'm just I'm just uh, ignorant of so many of the the great beers from California and from Colorado and Washington. But one day I'll get out there and try all of those as well.
0: I'll be happy to play tour if it's close enough to me. <laughs> For sure because I don't really need to be convinced to go drink beer. Talking <laughs> to everyone who listens to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess, what are we expecting against Wake? I know we've kind of, like, touched on a bit of it. Um, and while we talked a lot about how Syracuse mm-hmm. matches up with them, you know, how does Wake match up with us? Like, is there anybody on the Leaf Forest roster that you are, like, vehemently concerned about? Um, offensively,
1: I'm really not. And I hate to like really catch shade on Wake because I think that they're you know, doing the right things and this was always destined to be a really poor season for them. Um, maybe not quite as much as, as it has turned out to be, but um, this is an offense that runs for 33 yards a game, I think, and that's kind of Mar, you know that's made worse by, but also it it still hides the fact that Wake, uh, I think they've had multiple negative rushing yard games this year, which is bad, which is really bad. Um, and then you know they they're starting a true freshman at quarterback, which we are as well, but he has so few weapons that it's it's just been a a total total mess for him. Um, he's probably playing actually a little, you know he's he's doing what he can. Uh, Walford, the the, the freshman. But I think he has 11 interceptions on the year, and this is a Syracuse defense that has become a little more opportunistic over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, they dropped two pits. That should have absolutely been made against Jameis Winston. But, you know, you hope that they're not going to drop those pits every week. Um, so, I don't know. I'm not really scared by anything that Wake Forest has shown me so far. They're they're averaging literally one yard a carry. Um, they have 186 yards on 179 carries this year. They have, you know, they're a little better passing, but they they turn the ball over a lot. No receiver really stands out. Um, EJ Stott is fourth receiving touchdowns, but that's four of the six total. So it's uh, the the I think if if you let Wake get into field uh, field goal range, they'll they'll beat you up there. The kickers hasn't missed a kick yet this year, so that's good. But overall, I just don't expect Wake Force to really move the ball overly effectively on on Syracuse, um, especially if they can establish the run. So uh, I think it'll either be, you know, I think this all rests on how Syracuse offense handles a very solid, underrated wake secondary. Um, if Juan has a similar performance that he did in Florida State, which I don't know why he wouldn't be able to, this one could be a pretty decisive victory. If if Juan struggles like a freshman on the road, then I think this might be more like last year's game, which was ugly and I don't necessarily want to sit through again, but it could always happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of me thinks that we're in for a low-scoring contest, but at the same time, like I'm not sure. I know we keep saying Syracuse will be better suited for a low-scoring contest, and I guess the facts kind of bear that out. But at the same time, we're two and zero in more high-scoring contests for us, anyway, versus. Um, I mean, the other games, we just haven't gotten, you know, things started um, offensively um, on our end. I I think that, you know, we could be looking at a game that that very much resembles uh, last year's Maryland game or last year's uh, Wake Forest game, which would be a bummer for those of us in attendance, but at the same time, a win's a win, and and I'd very much like to be one of those. Um, For those who didn't know, uh, Wake Forest is averaging 31 yards per game on the ground, Dead last in the entire country by, I would assume, at least 10 to 15 yards, if not more. I time. think SMU is down
1: there too, but SMU is just next level bad. Did they challenge TCU a little bit two weeks ago? Yeah, which was shocking. <laughs> which was, yeah. it didn't make any sense. Wake, Wake had negative three rushing yards against ULM in their opener. <laughs> um, they then had, they had 96 against Gardner Webb, so. That was something. They had there negative twenty-five it. in Ohio State. They had a hundred against Army. They had this is awful radio, but I'm just going keep on doing it. Negative twenty-two against Louisville, and then surprisingly forty against Florida State. So it's yeah. So I, I said one. I said I thought they they definitely had won. I knew that. Um, they actually have three games where they fig- fi- uh, finished under. Uh, zero rushing yards. And like they did it every time they were in the negative, they were like really in the
0: negative. That's I mean, that's highly entertaining to me. Um and I'll be honest, if if they can't run the ball, I don't really think it matters. What else they can do. Um teams who can't run the ball against Syracuse do not or at least try and run the ball in some way against Syracuse do not do well. Um that isn't to say that our secondary is, is is shut down, but at the same time, like, if Wolfe throws 50 passes like he did a few weeks ago, um, or tried to throw 50 passes, uh, Syracuse is going to blitz the hell out of him. He's going to get hit a ton. um, And Syracuse is going to be able to cause turnovers, plain and simple. Um, So Wake is going to be challenged here because I think, I don't know if Wake has an ability to run the football uh, with any sort of urgency or or any sort of uh, efficiency. Um, It doesn't even matter if they only pick up a couple yards here and there, Um, but I think that the key for the Deacons here is is figure out a way to to move the ball positively on the ground. That's really their, to me, their only chance here because it neutralizes the Syracuse blitz uh, quite a bit, and I think that's going to be the key uh, for an offense that really, I mean, I think Syracuse offense struggles. I mean, this team's averaging 212 yards a game total <clears> offense, <throat> 15.7 what points that? oh, like, If that's not last in the country, it's like bottom five. Yeah, like I mean, you're not even aver- you're not even averaging 16 points a game. Like this is bad. Like this is this is next. Like you can, you can talk about SMU being bad. But this is this is awful. Yeah, the difference is that Wake's defense is has a
1: has a pulse, and they've pulled out two wins, which, same same number as Syracuse, uh, unfortunately for us, but, you know, against the, the two weakest opponents, probably on their schedule, so, it's going to be ugly for Wake uh, here on out, um, I'm hoping it's ugly for them this weekend, too, uh, as I go down, and you do as well, but, um, I don't know, I think overall they'll be okay, in the long run, I think they'll I think I, I still think Clawson's a good coach. I just think that he inherited a very difficult situation and a very uh, lean roster.
0: Yeah, what's their scholarship situation like? Do they even have, like, 60 guys in the scholarship right now? Because, I mean, yeah, he he walked into a situation in which uh, Whitlock, probably one of the team's all-time best defenders, uh, graduates. Santa Price, a four-year starter, a uh, quarterback, gone you know Josh Harris gone at running back and Michael Campanaro um one of the best receivers in ACC history despite being on a terrible team um gone and and the teams with those players didn't make a bowl I think what three or the last 4 years so yeah yeah so, so this is a bit, I mean this was a very bad situation to walk into um I do believe that Wake can can fix things it's interesting because you know, Wake is taking a very kind of similar tact to what uh, Virginia has done to get themselves at least back into the conversation, um, and, and that is uh, defense. Uh, I mean, this defense is largely in place when Clawson got there, but the defense has kept waking in games. I mean, the only game they were truly out of this season um, is the large State game, and, you and they even our-
1: played. Oh. I thought they played harder against Florida State like not not quite like we did, but. It was 40-3 to three at the end, but that team was, like, close for a while, wasn't it? Like, Florida State
0: didn't store all that easily against Wake. Yeah, they definitely didn't. I mean, it was pretty close at the half. Um, I think mostly just because, like, Florida State was sleepwalking through Wake. Um, and, again, just kind of that was me being the same critics that I was mentioning for Syracuse. But, I mean, Florida State just has trouble this year getting things going um, or keeping their foot on the gas, one or the other. It uh, really just depends on the game, but yeah, you look past that game. I mean, Wake was, was in every contest, so that was nice. Hurt, to, which doesn't right. hurt. It'd be nice to write this one off as as, as a nice win, an easy win, but I, I think we're uh, I think we're due for a little bit more of a challenge than maybe uh, we're fans of. It's going to be a stifling defense. Uh, basically has to find ways to force turnovers against us. And lucky for them, uh, there's a lot of freshmen who can kind of uh, kind of abide by those those needs. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think Wake is, you know, alluding to what we were talking about earlier, I think Wake is, is, is fine long-term. And I know we discussed this a couple of times. I do think that Nick is a better hire than Dolan than was um, at NC State. I and mean, now... That Darn is 0-11 in ACC play, which is yep. quite entertaining. And he's probably on his way to 0-12 this weekend against Louisville.
1: That team, that that uh, this North Carolina State team is weird. Like, they legitimately almost beat Florida State a couple weeks ago and then just got rocked this past weekend. Um so, I, I don't know what to think about
0: them. I just think they're a bad team. I think they're a bad team. Did over the head? Florida State game? Yeah, I, I mean, they just... They they started 4-0 against this god-awful competition, and they still almost lost, like, two of those games. Yep. And then, I mean, Florida State, they just... For some reason, they are just very good at playing Florida State and Raleigh. I don't get it. And then, beyond that, I mean... They've been outscored 71-14 to 14 by Clemson and BC in the last two weeks. Yeah, and Clemson, obviously, that that was I think that was
1: Watson's first full start, maybe second. He just destroyed them. And then BC, like credit BC, they, I don't think that's a super talented team, but that team just yeah. executes really well, and NC State just didn't know. Like I could tell you exactly what BC would, is going to run on a different like, play because they just do what they're going to do. Dave Dorn's staff did not know what they were going to run because apparently, I don't know if they watch film on, on B.C., B.C. runs a very, like, they they just do the things they're good at, so you'd think that teams would be aware that, you know, the quarterback doesn't throw very much, uh, they run a bunch of running backs at you, and then Murphy scrambles a bunch and runs a lot of sweeps, but NC State did not seem to get that memo. <laughs> like, I don't know if they thought Matt Ryan was playing and they were going to run this, like, drop-back pass offense, but B.C. just had did anything they wanted.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it was... NC State's defense has gotten... You and I both said NC State's defense was in trouble in preseason. Um, and it seemed like you know, after two stronger efforts against USF and Presbyterian, which, whatever. Like, <laughs> like people were, were, were buying into NC State uh, overall as a team. And you know what? Like, since then... Since starting 4-0 and and, and the fourth game being a shot out of Presbyterian, uh, this team has lost games by a combined score in three straight ACC contests uh, of 107 to 55 and is likely going to add to that miserable differential uh, this weekend. I I think think Jacoby Brissett is good. I don't think he's great. Um, I think that this team needs to make a decision um, between, you know, Shadrick, uh Thornton and Matt Days. Uh, running back, it seems like they just kind of waffle back and forth and say, for the last few weeks, have not picked the right running back uh, for whatever it may be. Uh, yeah, and, and then you look at the schedule. Um, this this team is going to have this back against the wall now. Um, you know, once it was Louisville, it's going to be 4-4. Four and, four, and then they'll have – there'll be a mandate to win – two of four, and at this point for them, I think Syracuse and Wake Forest will toss up games, um, and then that leads to almost assured losses against Georgia Tech and North Carolina. Um, and It may seem like I'm giving the heels too much credit, but I, I do think that they're talented enough, especially um, at home. But, yeah, now you're forced with, okay, like if you chalk up two of those games, the losses, and four and six, and need to, win. Um, need to win on the road at Syracuse, and then a game, uh, game against a rival in Wake, which is, to me uh, doesn't look good
1: for them. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I don't know. They they confuse me. I could see a lot of things happening, but um, I, I'm still confused by NC State. I'm I'm hoping that they're more like the team we've seen the last two weeks when we get down or when they come up to to the dome because that's going to be a huge game. As all these games are at this point, they're all really they've turned into all really big games because if you take out Clemson. Syracuse needs to win four or five. So really on the uh, – it's
0: really going to be a grind here on out. Funny enough, we've done this before. We've also not done yeah. this before. So, so my post about uh, the first half of the last ten seasons, uh, you can find two two-and-four seasons, um, in particular at point two one of which 2009, where we did not uh, get ourselves six wins. And then another one, uh, 2012, in which we ended up getting ourselves to eight wins.
1: Hopefully it's the latter, although there's no Ryan Nassib or Alec Lemon or Marcus Sales this year. Well, oh, a lot of other really good people. By the way, the last time Syracuse allowed negative rushing yards in a game, which, was, which is a legitimate possibility looking at, the style of defense Syracuse plays and the style of offense Wake Forest plays. Connecticut, 2012, came to the <laughs> dome That's with a 40 sense. to 10 loss. <laughs>
0: that was a, that was a fun game. It was.
1: I enjoyed that one.
0: <laughs> oh man. All right. So just to reiterate, and then we're going to get off Syracuse for the last few minutes. Um for those listening who are going to be down in uh Winston Salem for the weekend, well, Dan and I will be there uh hanging out at the official tailgate. Uh, you know, if you want to call me a disloyal idiot, whatever, go for it. I'll be there. And so will Dan. Dan, say nice things about since you guys like him. Yeah, I was I was told the uh the
1: I don't know if I was the most loyal idiot or the least disloyal idiot because I picked Syracuse to lose by the, le the smallest margin against Florida State by that one. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. All also, right. Syracuse then... held Wake Forest under 100 yards rushing in both of these last two times we've played and beaten them in the last like four years.
0: Well, that's fun. Let's Do that again.
1: I'm, I'm going through the I'm going through the Stat-Shafer era here and counting and tallying win-loss record in games we've allowed 100 or fewer yards.
0: Ooh.
1: It's actually not quite as, as good as I thought it would be, but it's still pretty definitive, as you'd imagine.
0: Hmm.
1: We allowed five rushing yards to Rutgers in that two-overtime loss in 2011.
0: Oh. How'd that happen? That game. Could you imagine if that game had gone the other way? Yeah, we would have made a bowl. Hey. A would have made a bolt. B, would have been ranked Ugh. Stupid D. Another reason to hate state University of New Jersey. But uh oh, um, Yeah, that's the worst. But the party from Syracuse, because you only talk about the honor for so long. Um do you think two thousand fourteen can end up as uh as wacky and wild as two thousand seven here at the, no. the point?
1: not as wacky and wild um, because B.C. isn't involved and U.S.F. isn't involved and the Big deal doesn't exist, um, Kansas. and I don't think we'll have a two-loss team going to the national championship, but and I, I think it's not quite as as wacky and wild because I think Mississippi State's legitimately good. I think Ole Miss is legitimately good. Um, I think all the teams that have been impressive so far are as impressive as we think uh, for the most part. So I think the names are kind of weird, but I think the teams are for real. Where in 2007, like, some teams just uh, just disappeared uh, after at certain points. USF, obviously, that's what they do, or what they did do now. They just don't win ever. Um, BCs, I, I think they had a decent year that year, but they weren't the number two team in the country. It, that, that year was just really strange. This one is just there's, like, some new kids on the block. And some teams like Mississippi State where – They've been a decent team for a while, and now they're all seniors, and they just had a lot of things go right at the same time.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think what makes this wild is is um, a lack of a dominant, dominant team, you know. I do I think that's the one thing that the that season does have going for it is just that complete and utter lack of, like, i think there's about 10 to 12 teams who could just knock off each other on any given Saturday, um, you know, weather, injuries, where the games are placed, dependent. So, so to me, that's just a very um, – it, it's becoming a, a bit of a wild card every weekend as we see just such a muddled group of teams. I mean, especially – when you look at the SEC, look at the state of the SEC West, you look at the state of the ACC coastal division, which none of those teams are in the National Championship of Conversation. Although Duke could go eleven one. Um you look at everybody in the Pac twelve, all of them have one loss. All of them are capable of beating each other and you get it I mean the entire state of the Big Ten. It just seems like uh there are no dominant teams and, and that's gonna it's already starting, you know, two straight weeks of, of upset uh Lower, I think we're going to see a hell of a lot more of them, and it's only—I mean provide for fun football for us. But I do, I do wonder what the the end game is uh, in terms of actually finding, like, especially in a year with a playoff. You know, this is probably uh, the most appropriate year for for a playoff. But at the same time, you have to wonder if what if this conversation about who deserves to be in uh, does expand past four and and does have eight to nine legitimate like teams with
1: selling points it should happen I, I think Baylor looks like a team that can definitely lose they probably should have lost this weekend honestly um nope. I think Ole Miss is a is a classic Dr. Bo game away from dropping a close one um Florida State I don't think they'll lose just because the schedule probably doesn't allow for it unless Notre Dame knocks them off but I think they'll they'll step up to the plate in that in that game but it just seems like uh it's gonna be a year where, it, as you said, it's a really good time to have these extra two teams in the in the uh, in the mix because it is kind of all over the place. But I think right now, if the season ended today, I think it's a pretty clear foursome of the Egg Bowl teams, the Seminoles, and the Baylor Bears, which is nice. It's nice to have a little bit of clarity. Although I, I think that you know comes crumbling down eventually. I saw uh, I wrote a post for my my day job at College Spun. Um, Mississippi, uh, no, Michigan State is actually the highest odds uh, on Vegas Insider to win the whole thing, Just and I, I assume that's just because Vegas Insider thinks Michigan State will win out and assumes that there's a really good chance that a bunch of these other teams lose games down the stretch, which is a crazy assumption. So that's, that's that, that tells you all you need to know about what the, the postseason projections look like right now. No one really knows what's going to go on.
0: Yeah, I actually buy that. Um, I, I was high. I had Michigan State in the playoff in preseason, and, and my main reasoning behind that was, um, even if they fall to Oregon at Austin Stadium, which again isn't a bad loss, um, they they had the easiest road for the rest of the time, and and for the most part, perception wise, they'd still be able to skate even with a lesser strength of schedule. Uh, just because they were name-brands, if nothing else. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan, et cetera. Um, I mean, a probable win over either Wisconsin or Nebraska in the Big Ten title game. Um, So, to me, it it does seem like Michigan State has the easiest road left, and that's the highest likelihood to win it. Um, You know, Florida State, Notre Dame is obviously a huge matchup this weekend, Um, and I think whoever wins that, can pretty much skate themselves into a playoff um, spot. Whoever loses is going to have a bit of a rockier road. I think whoever wins the Big 12, provided they have no more than one loss, um, should be there. And then it it, it kind of presents a weird situation, though, because you have have possibly three of the top five teams in the country might be in the SEC West, you have the Pac-12, which is just cannibalizing each other more so than ever before. Um, you have a Marshall team that is, as we said months ago, likely going undefeated. But on top of that, Marshall team is probably going to go 13 and 0. You have an ECU team that could very well end up 11 and 1 with their only loss to South Carolina. So I think there's still a lot left to happen in this season, um, and, and the committee is going to be tested. And I'm, I'm a fan of that in, in year one. Yeah, it's
1: gonna be fun. Um I was actually kinda of bummed out of the TCU lost this weekend, I think they're a fun team. But uh Same. although it'll be Boykin's a- out now for four to six weeks, I think. No, apparently that was false. Or really? uh Yeah, boyfriend. don't look into that. Like after Frauds of War, uh released that, they apparently got like tricked or something, um, because he practiced today and T C was like, Yeah, we don't know what you're talking about. Wow. Yep. Yeah. It was kind of a weird happening in the middle of the day today.
0: Well, yeah. TCU really should have won that game. I think that's crazy that their defense is lit up in just such resounding fashion in that fourth quarter. But I still think that they have a shot. If they they can run the table and if Bailey loses Oklahoma, it's going to be very hard for anyone to say that TCU isn't the best of those three. Yeah. It's. Uh It'll be
1: yeah. It, there are a lot of lot of situations. I, I think eventually it'll it'll wind up being more logical than we than we think it is now. But um, I, I'm not really sure what's gonna happen to some of these teams can lose like any anyway. week. Like like Baylor really hasn't like they they were incredible on offense in the fourth quarter, but they didn't look great right against Texas and and the beginning of their game against TCU they were doing runs. So it's uh it's tough to predict what some of these teams do. It's well, kind of what we watch, I guess. Yeah, it's like college football fun.
0: And so, uh, anything else before we uh, we sign off for the evening slash morning for those listening? Uh no. I'm. Uh, hopefully, we get the win, and we have some
1: fun and happy times to uh, happy reasons to report back next Tuesday, Wednesday. Whatever, whenever you listen to this. True. All right.
0: So on that note, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you for listening to Troy Noon's An Absolute Podcast. Uh, we're here every single week on Block Talk Radio, iTunes. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. Uh, and, you know, say nice things. We usually try to say nice things about you. Um, and, yeah, go Orange this weekend. Orange.
1: At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.